welcome back to Gentle Man, redefining manhood in the 21st century. My name is Arjuna, I'm your host. Today I want to talk about male grief. Over the weekend I co-led a grief ceremony. I started getting into grief work about a decade or so when I started doing therapy in earnest. It's not something that my therapist explicitly brought up with me, but I found that grieving was a natural part of my therapeutic work. And a number of people in my local community were doing work that was explicitly grief work, and that coincided with my personal grief journey. So it was a natural fit for me to start doing this work. The ceremony that I co-led was in the tradition of Sabonfu and Maladoma Somme, who come from the Dagara people of Burkina Faso. Some people in the West who have continued their work are people such as Lawrence Cole and Francis Weller. I highly encourage looking into them and their work if you're more interested in doing grief work. I think grief work is among the most important work that people can do at this time, and I think especially men are deeply in need of doing grief work. So one of the things that prompted me to make this episode today was that I was noticing at the ceremony how few men there were, and I was noticing that some of the men were having a hard time fully getting into their grief. And when men were getting into their grief, I also noticed that they seem to be experiencing more shame around it or more desire to hide afterwards or even to leave. I also remember there's a grief ceremony that I went to earlier this year in which I was one of only two men present. And this, of course, created an uncomfortable situation for both the two of us men who were there and also for the women who were the remainder of the people attending the ceremony. There were a few moments where people were asked to group up and work together with their grief. And there was this palpable sense of, oh, I don't, I don't want to work with the men in this room. And in some cases, for good reason, you know, I think a lot of the grief that the women in that room were processing had to do with men and male violence and a lot of the suffering that women undergo in male-dominant culture. So it's unsurprising that in a space that's built around vulnerability and sharing, that if you're processing challenges as a result of men and male conduct, that you would feel sensitive doing it around men. So these are just two examples of experiences where I've been with other men in a grieving space and experienced some challenge around it. I myself, as someone who has grown up and been socialized male, also struggled with grief for the first three decades or so of my life. Even though I was a very emotional and spirited young child, I ended up succumbing to the emotional suppression and repression that afflicts so many men, and that so many men are modeled, and in some cases enforced by violence, to internalize. Men in the cultures that I've grown up in really struggle to grieve. It's very difficult. There's so much working against their basic and simple expressing of the human desire to grieve. It begins with the whole boys don't cry thing, where parents, including mothers, tend to socialize their girls to be expressive, emotionally expressive, and create environments in which it's okay for girls to cry, but not their boys. So from an age as early as before, boys are even able to form words and express their feelings using words. Boys are getting these reinforcements from their parents to stop crying, to tough it up, to grow up, to tough it out. That it is inappropriate for boys and men to cry and to express their difficult emotions. 
But I want to highlight that it's not just difficult emotions, it's richer emotions. A lot of times vulnerability is confused with difficulty. And there are lots of cases as well in which boys are simply being very sensitive or maybe even very loving and very poetic and very gentle and sweet in their experience of the world. And even those expressions and emotions might also get suppressed, either consciously or unconsciously, by their parents. So this is something that I want to highlight. While grief and strong feelings are often characterized as being sorrowful, as being angry, as being difficult and sometimes torturous to experience and to draw out of ourselves, the concept of grief is actually a lot deeper than that. So in his book, The Smell of Rain on Dust, by Martin Prechtel, uh, which I'm going to reference a few times in this episode because I think it is a really important work on the topic of grief. In this book, Martin outlines how grief is actually another side of the coin from praise. And he talks about how when someone is in an active state of grieving, they are also in an active state of praising that which they are grieving. And those who've had an experience of deep grieving or even not so deep grieving will probably relate at some point or another having an experience of feeling lighter afterwards or feeling more alive afterwards, feeling more in their hearts. Perhaps you're having a difficult encounter or relationship with someone in your life and after grieving about it and after getting some catharsis around it, you'll find that you actually feel a lot more charitable towards that person or you'll find that you're actually able to feel your love for them again. So often when we're not allowing ourselves to grieve it means that we're not giving ourselves the opportunity to come back around to the relationships that we're in. We're not giving ourselves the opportunity to feel the full range of our feelings around what it is that we're grieving. And ultimately, we're locking away our love, whether it's our love for a person, whether it's our love for a concept, whether it's our love for a way that we're living our life or a way that we would like to live our life that we're feeling restrained from doing. And so in this way, grief and praise are linked. They are inextricably linked. And so when men are struggling to grieve, they are also struggling to praise and appreciate and deeply enjoy their lives. They're living within a narrower emotional bandwidth. Men are feeling trapped. They're feeling misunderstood. They're feeling unheard. They're feeling like there's no space for their feelings. So this is really part of the modern tragedy, in my opinion, is that men struggle to grieve and yet they have so much to grieve. There is so much for men to grieve. It's almost daunting to even think about it. There's the long history of emotional suppression and repression. There's a long history of male violence. So many of the biggest conflicts and the most grief-inducing things in society are very male-centric. For example, war. There's a long history of violent wars that have cost so many men their lives and in which so many men have been weaponized into fighting. And these wars have created untold grief, which has gone relatively ungrieved for so many generations. Men have been weaponized in so many different ways. Men have also been commodified in the modern industrial era as being cogs in the larger machine of industry. And so the male psyche and the male body has in many places been co-opted for the advancement of industry. And this has created untold harm in and of itself. It's created disruption in family units. 
It has played a large role in the creation of the distant father, which is a modern ill. So the idea that the father leaves to work all day and spends very little time with his children, this is very much an industrialistic construct. So these are just a few examples of how men and the idea of men's role in society have been co-opted and controlled and really separated from their deeper humanity. And all of this has created generations and generations of men who have had the inability to grieve. And this inability to grieve has resulted in all kinds of horrible behaviors. Alcoholism, abuse, self-abuse, living emotionally flat and deadened lives, perpetuating other kinds of violence, men feeling really lost and misunderstood, and also men struggling to have really intimate and emotionally nourishing relationships with other men as well. So it is my belief that a key element of reintegrating what some people would call a healthy masculinity is by getting into grief and doing grief work. I've seen myself firsthand how profound grief work can be in my life and in the lives of other men. I find that men who have substantially done this work tend to be more in their hearts. They tend to be more likely to be leading lives of integrity. They tend to have stronger and deeper relationships with the people they know. And ultimately, they tend to lead more fulfilling lives. So I've covered it a little bit so far on a meta level, but I want to get into some specifics around why do men feel so uncomfortable grieving? Why is it such a common experience? So I'll revisit quickly something I mentioned earlier, which is that men have received reinforcement from a very young age that they're not supposed to be emotionally expressive. And oftentimes men have been shamed in their early childhood for crying and for grieving. So a lot of times it starts with parents. It might also start with older siblings telling their younger siblings not to be a baby, not to cry. Don't be a wimp. Don't be a pansy. Don't be a pussy. A lot of young boys get this messaging, especially from older male relatives, older brothers, cousins, uncles, stuff like that. And then, of course, their peers at school. And what I want to highlight is that for many boys growing up, grief can have very real consequences. Sometimes it can be in the form of losing their parents' love or feeling like they're losing their parents' love and approval. So if you're a young boy and your father, who's one of the most important people in your life, is telling you that you're not allowed to cry and that if you do, maybe if he's even not explicitly saying this, but he's implying that you'll be a lesser child or that you won't grow up to be a man if you continue to cry and carry on in this way, then you're going to have a really strong incentive to stop doing that. No child wants to lose the love of their parent or the respect of their parent. And so they're going to do their damnedest to try to meet that standard. Oftentimes, expressing grief as a young boy can also result in physical violence. I would say this most often comes from peers and maybe older siblings. So this is a really common experience for boys at school where, let's say they have an interaction and they feel overwhelmed. They start crying, 
maybe they get hurt on the playground and they start crying, or maybe they have an interaction with another kid that upsets them and they start crying. And then they'll have this experience, which is so common of the other boys starting to tease them and calling them a wimp and a sissy and a girl. And then sometimes this verbal bullying will turn into physical bullying either then or later. If you get marked as being a boy who's really sensitive, that's often a green light for bullies to come after you. And so some of the more hardened and insensitive and violent kids might follow up by bullying you. And it might lead to patterns of bullying and belittlement and ostracization. And this can lead to children becoming pariahs. It can lead to young boys feeling totally abandoned and isolated in school. And it can really ruin their lives. So there's almost no limit to the costs of being emotional and showing your grief as a young boy. And this is why oftentimes boys grow up into men who don't want to grieve because grief can end up feeling like dying. It can feel like being ostracized. It can feel like being bullied. It can feel like losing their parents' love. And as social creatures and as group-oriented creatures, these are some of the most important impulses that we have. Throughout the history of our species, if we became unpopular, or if we became shunned, if we became ostracized, that often meant being abandoned and dying in the wild. This is connected to the deepest sense of self-preservation that we have. And so it's no surprise that in a situation where men are asked to grieve or are encouraged to express their deep grief, they'll often have an automatic and autonomic and unconscious response to tighten up, to protect, to retreat, to save face, to keep their feelings to themselves. And oftentimes this will feel like strength. Oftentimes when they do this, they'll be modeling a behavior which they have been told is being strong, being a man. And so this will reinforce in their mind the idea that I can't do that. Now, sometimes you'll get a man who has actually worked through that first impulse, a man who has consciously thought, no, I don't want to live my life like that. I don't want to be restricted in that way. I don't want for my upbringing to define me. I want to get into my feelings. It's important to me. Some men have access to that or they have a curiosity around it. Or perhaps they didn't receive as harsh of a role modeling in their childhood. Or perhaps they got through their boyhood with relatively little bullying around stuff like this. And so they don't have as much inhibition. But then even men like this can experience challenges because oftentimes they don't know how to do it. Oftentimes, men will actually be very unfamiliar with what a healthy emotional process looks like. Or perhaps they'll know that they're having a feeling and they'll know that they want to work through it, but they'll have very little idea about how to actually do that. So grieving and emoting and communicating feelings is a skill set. Even though it is a natural impulse that people have, like so many other things, it has to be developed. It has to be learned. Just like any other skill, people have to practice it. And they have to come to understand what doing it successfully or relatively successfully feels like. So just like riding a bike or learning to walk, learning to express yourself, learning to play an instrument, learning to write, just like any of these skills, emoting takes trial and error. It takes a searching within. And so many men who come to grief genuinely have no idea how to do it.
And they can feel particularly self-conscious doing it because it'll often take them back to a very young state. In general, when we're learning something new, we often emotionally revert to a very childlike state because learning is very vulnerable and we spend most of our childhoods learning primarily. That's what we're doing in our childhoods is taking in information. And we're often not very good at things for a long time before we develop the skills. So learning anything is vulnerable and learning emotional skills that have been stunted in your life is particularly vulnerable for a lot of men. So a lot of men may feel very weak or they may feel very foolish, you know, like, oh, I look like an idiot. People are going to laugh at me. People are going to ridicule me. I feel really embarrassed about how challenging this is for me. And one of the hardest aspects of this is that our grief systems and our emotive systems, part of what they're designed to do is to help us move through difficult feelings like feeling embarrassed, right? Like feeling foolish. And so we get in this negative feedback loop where we want to express our feeling and then we feel silly for doing that and then we have an emotional reaction to that but then we suppress that reaction because we because it feels vulnerable and then we get this continuing negative feedback loop of feelings that are stacking on top of each other and that we're not able to express and so this can send many people and especially many men into a kind of shame spiral that it can be very difficult to get out of and so oftentimes men who have one or more experiences like that will think screw this i'm out I don't want to do this work. I don't know why I thought that I would want to do this in the first place. So that's a challenge that men come up against. Another reason men can feel uncomfortable grieving is that they actually worry that their feelings are going to be too much. Oftentimes men who have been some amount of emotionally stunted their whole lives have a lot of anger built up and they have a lot of rage built up. And there's a few reasons for this. One is just that that is a natural response to being repressed and suppressed. So anyone, regardless of their gender or physiology, will likely experience some amount of anger for growing up in an environment or a culture in which their truth, their feelings, and their expression has been suppressed. Now, men in particular, because they have often been raised in more violent environments and because their rage and their aggression has been more encouraged, men will be more likely on average to have their grief expressed as anger and expressed as rage when it does come out, especially initially. I think a lot of men who've gotten into the work, once they've moved through some additional waves of anger, I think that their emotional processes will start to look more similar. And I think that people in general, uh, once they've worked through their initial stages, their emotional processes start to look more similar. But in the beginning, there are a lot of men who have a lot of fear and a lot of anger and a lot of rage, and they might even have a lot of physical anger to express before they can really get through to some of their deeper sorrow and some of their more tender feelings. And so a lot of men, even before they've really gotten to that point, they'll unconsciously know that there's this well of rage and they will sometimes even wisely, they will choose not to go there because they don't want to hurt the people around them and they don't want to hurt themselves. And also they understand that the broader culture at large doesn't really get their grief and they understand that they might, for example, they might scare other people if they're getting into their anger or they might even get the cops called on them. You know, there might even be consequences aside from just the possibility of hurting somebody else. Finally, another consequence that can come from male grief, which is a very specifically gendered consequence, is that there are some straight women 
who have also been indoctrinated into this male-dominant idea of what men should be. And so some women will actually also perpetuate the disapproval and the ridicule of male emotionality. And so sometimes men actually fear that their partners or their wives or perhaps even their female relatives will shun them or shame them for being emotional. And so they'll worry that their value will diminish in the eyes of one or more important women in their lives. Maybe they also feel like they need to be strong for their children. This is another thing that happens where perhaps they have a real emotional impulse to grieve, but they don't want to. They're worried that their children seeing them in a grief state will register as being unstable or unsafe. And so that's another reason that they might choose not to go into grief. So there's a lot working against men when it comes to grieving. There are so many impulses and social messages and behavioral reinforcements which are designed to dissuade men from getting into their grief. A final note that I want to talk about before getting into some of how do we deal with this or some of the solutions is that there have been long-standing and very real campaigns from larger social bodies that have a vested interest in men not grieving and men not getting in touch with their grief. I mentioned war earlier. The military and the militarization of culture has a very vested interest in men being unfeeling. It has a very vested interest in men reducing their ability to have a cogent emotional process and increasing their ability to express violence. And so anyone wanting to encourage militarization who has any amount of insight into the human psyche will know that grief is running counter to what they're trying to cultivate in men. Anyone seeking to control men, anyone seeking to weaponize men, anyone seeking to militarize men will have an interest in suppressing their emotional processes and their grief. Other institutions such as industrial work, any kind of labor that men do, again, there's a vested interest in suppressing their feelings and their grief because a lot of these systems of industrialization are on some level based on oppression or repression. They're asking laborers to do inhumane work. They're asking laborers to do work which runs counter to a lot of their human impulses and runs counter to a lot of the ways that humans have worked over time. Also, large industrial operations require huge groups of people working in very compliant ways. And so these work models and the people who perpetuate them also have a vested interest in suppressing male feeling and male grief, as especially historically, these workforces have been predominantly male. That balance has been changing somewhat in the contemporary era, but regardless of who you are, these modern labor systems are designed to suppress people's needs and people's feelings, and to move them towards compliance, to move them towards productivity, and to move them away from prioritizing their own health and their own well-being. So these are just a few examples of these larger social constructs that have vested interest in suppressing male feeling and male grief. That's a broad topic that I'd be very interested to continue exploring, so watch this space.
I've spent quite a bit of time outlining the challenge and the problem, you could say. So now let's get into what do we do about it? How do we create environments in which men can actually start to grieve and can start to heal emotionally? The first thing I would say is that I think a lot of men do need to start with anger. So I believe that anger is a large barrier for a lot of men and that in connecting with anger and channeling anger and working with anger in healthy ways, men can actually open the door to their depth of feeling. It can clear the way for some of their more vulnerable and subtle and sorrowful feelings to come through. So how do we do this? What are some healthy ways to work with anger? First of all, I would encourage men to find spaces where they can be alone with their anger and find spaces where they can feel safe expressing their anger without hurting themselves or other people. So here are some things I've seen men do with their anger. I've seen men go out into the woods and maybe grab some branches or some sticks that have fallen on the ground and just smash them on the ground, or even smash them into a tree. Now, I'm not encouraging someone to harm a tree or other living creatures, but there are plenty of ways to do this that cause little or no harm to the surrounding environment. Another thing that I've done, uh, as I outlined in another episode, was I had a baseball bat and I was living on a farm, and we had a mulch pile, and I would just hit the mulch pile with my baseball bat, and that was a very safe way for me to channel my grief without hurting anybody. Some men will use martial arts or other physical activities to channel their anger. Boxing lessons, maybe kickboxing lessons. That tends to be a very safe and also a very consensual way to experience your anger. So it's a way to experience your anger around other people who have decided that they also want to be in that environment. Some cities even have places you can go to express your anger. So especially if you live in a larger city, you might be able to find a place that will create a safe environment for you to smash some stuff up. So that's worth looking into. Another good thing can be if you have another male friend who you feel really comfortable with and who maybe the two of you have an established relationship of trust around anger and stronger feelings. And uh, maybe you can ask your friend to, you know, come and help you get some anger out. Now, of course, it's important to use your judgment when doing stuff like this because you definitely don't want to end up getting in a fight with your friend. You don't want to end up hurting each other or hurting other people. So use this one judiciously. But I think if you have the right friend who understands you and the right friend who's able to be with your anger and who's able to kind of encourage you into it in a healthy way, that can be a really powerful tool. So think about who you know might be able to assist you in this journey can also be a really incredible way to deepen your relationship with some of the men in your life. This concept of safety bleeds into my next point, which is you really want to start safe when you're working with grief. Anything around vulnerability, anything around exploring the self and exploring emotions has to start with safety. If you don't feel safe, you're not going to show up fully. So it's important to prioritize safety when you're starting to do this work, not just for yourself and not just for your emotional safety, but your physical safety and the safety of other people. So that's why doing this work alone can be important. And if you do it with someone else, you want to make sure that the person you're doing it with is really sympathetic and is a person who's not going to judge you. And if you worry that you might harm yourself, then you want the person who's with you to be someone you can trust to look out for you to not harm yourself. And if you are worried about that, then it's good to be explicit when you're making a request. Like, hey, can I ask you to keep an eye on me to make sure that I'm not hurting myself? Make sure that that's an explicit part of the conversation. 
Now, in one of my earlier episodes, it's called Boys Don't Cry, How to Work with Feelings. I outlined some deeper ways to get into your grief, some ways to kind of get the party started, so to speak. So let's say you've found yourself in an environment where you do feel safe. You've found the alone time. You've managed to get away. What do you do now? And that episode will give you some more tips and guidance into actually getting deeper into your emotional process. So Boys Don't Cry, How to Work with Feelings, I highly recommend that you go and listen to that. I've included a link to that episode in the show notes, so you can just go down and click on that link, it'll take you right to it. So some of the things that I spoke about in that episode were finding music, which is really cathartic for you, maybe watching a movie or a TV show that has content that you know gets you stirred up. I also go into detail about some aspects of my personal story and how I discovered my ability to grieve. Anyway, I think that episode will really help you as well. Next thing with grief is I always encourage anyone really in my life to get into therapy. While therapy is seldom a complete solution for getting into grief, I find that it can be very, very helpful to get started. So some of the things a therapist can do for you are, number one, a therapist can help you get more in touch with what's actually going on with you. Oftentimes when we're starting our therapeutic process or we're starting our grief process, we can actually be fairly unclear about the forces that we're working under. And so speaking with a therapist can help you to start to understand which aspects of your story have affected you and which themes in your life are actually the themes that you're going to want to focus on. What I found in therapy was that when I started it, it took me a number of months to just start to get clear on my story, and it took me a number of months to start to get out of my head and into my more feeling self. And once I was able to do that, thanks to some very skillful steering by my first therapist, I was really fortunate to find a very good therapist right off the bat. So thanks to some skillful intervention, I was finally, after a number of months, able to start getting into a grieving space. I would start breaking down in tears in my therapy sessions, and sometimes I would do a little bit of raging in my chair as well. So therapy really helped me to get the party started as far as grief is concerned. And from there, I used some additional tools and groups and relationships with people I knew to help me in my grief process. So I, I can't recommend therapy enough. If you're not someone who's currently getting therapy, you need it. Everyone needs it. It's my opinion. Everyone's lives would be better with therapy, unless you have a very good reason not to. Another thing I'll just mention quickly is co-counseling. Co-counseling is a method by which people can do some lower-level therapy work together. So it's a methodology that you can learn, and it basically creates this buddy system where you and another person take turns holding space for each other and giving each other some amount of reflection and some amount of counseling. So if you don't want to do therapy, but you're interested in kind of a structured environment in which you can share your grief or share your feelings, then I would look into co-counseling, especially if you have someone in your life that you think, oh yeah, I would really love to have some kind of a therapeutic relationship with. Now, I'm no expert on grief, but there are plenty of grief experts out there. So another thing I would recommend is if you want to get into grief and you're struggling, read some books. The Smell of Rain on Dust by Martine Prechtel. This is at the top of my list. I think anyone working with grief owes it to themselves to get this book and read it. It's a quick read, and every page is just full of incredible insight. This is also one of the rare books that actually inspires grief. 
So just by reading this book, it is designed to start getting you into your own grief space. So I often find myself tearing up or getting back into my grief process when I read this book. Another book I would highly recommend is The Wild Edge of Sorrow. This was written by Francis Weller, and he's one of the people who worked with Maladoma and Sabonfu Somme when they started their work in the West. This book goes into the five gates of grief that Francis Weller identified. These are different aspects of grieving. So a lot of people think of grief as just being maybe over losing a person, losing a pet, something like that. But there are so many different kinds of grief we can experience, this ancestral grief which has been passed down through generations. We can sometimes grieve for things that we wish we had or believe that we deserve that we didn't get. We can sometimes grieve for the parts of ourselves that have gone unloved or unexpressed. We can grieve the loss of an idea or the loss of a country, maybe the loss of a certain faculty in our body. Sometimes we can just grieve the ending of an era of our lives or grieve the beginning of a new era of our lives. A lot of people moving into middle age or moving into older age will have a lot of grief around what they're losing and also a more general kind of non-specific aching of life and the passage of life. So there are so many different ways to experience grief and so many different things to grieve about. And this book does an incredible job of outlining that and of helping you to go deeper with whatever kind of grief it is that you're working with. So these are just a few of my favorite resources, but there are so many more that you can look up. There are so many grief resources out there, so I highly encourage you to investigate. Now finally, I want to talk about the role of community in grieving. Grief is best done communally, and this is because oftentimes grief work is big work, and it can be hard to have just one person holding that for you. It can be very profound to be in a room with many people, maybe even dozens of people who are holding space for your grieving process. Sometimes it takes that level of involvement and that level of witnessing for someone to feel safe or for someone to feel like, finally, my grief isn't too much. So something I would encourage you to do if you're looking for more community around grief is to see what groups are happening in your local area. Maybe there are church groups that talk about grief. Maybe there are people doing grief rituals or grief ceremonies. Like, for example, where I live, that's a fairly common thing. Maybe you can travel and go to a grief retreat if you're not able to find something in your local area. Maybe you could even start something. Maybe you could reach out to a handful of people you know who you think would be sympathetic and say, hey, I want to set aside some time for feelings or I want to set aside some time for grief. What do you think? You might be surprised at who would be enthusiastic to participate in something like that with you. So sometimes when something doesn't exist, you have to make it for yourself. And that can be kind of vulnerable and difficult, but it can also be really empowering. And reaching out like this can help you to make connections with some other incredible humans that you may not have met otherwise. So I highly encourage you to get communal, get involved with other people, find other ways for you to work with your grief. It's worth it. So in closing, I want to say that grief work is some of the most important work I've done in my life. It's not an exaggeration to say that grief work has been life-saving for me. I think I would have struggled a lot more with suicidal ideation and with some of my darkest thought patterns if I had not discovered grief and the power of grief to help me move through that. I also think I would be a much more depressed person if I had not discovered grief. So grief has really been a lifeline for me. Grief has also opened up channels in me to experience some of the most wonderful aspects of life as well. 
grief work has given me permission to feel some of the deepest joy that I've felt and some of the deepest connection to people in my life. Grief work has also helped me to create better relationships in my life. It's given me more tools in working in partnership. It has helped me to have breakthroughs with relationships with several of my family members, even. It has helped me to reconcile some of my personal losses and some of my familial losses. And it has really paved a way for me to move forward in my life as a heartfelt human being and as a passionate human being. So I can't recommend grief work enough. I think everyone benefits from it. I think it's some of the most important work that needs to be done at this time in human history. And I think it's a lost art that we need to reclaim as people. So I hope you'll take my invitation to in some way get into this and deepen your experience of life. Thanks for joining me on this episode and I look forward to catching you on the next one. If you've been enjoying the Gentleman podcast, I'd like to ask you for your help. Growing a community and an online presence takes a lot of work, and it takes a lot of participation from listeners such as yourself to really help things take off. So if you value this show and it has been meaningful in your life, I would really appreciate it if you could help me out by doing one of the following. Leaving me a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever it is that you listen. That's a huge help as it helps the podcast rise in rankings, and it also helps other people discover the podcast. Recommending it via word of mouth to your friends and family is another massive way that you can help this podcast grow. Following on social media and liking the content and maybe leaving a comment is another great way to support. Gentleman Podcast is our Instagram handle. You can also find us on YouTube at Gentleman Podcast, three words. Watching and liking the videos on YouTube is another great way that you can help the algorithm to know that this is valuable content. I really appreciate your help and your support. It's one of the things that will help me to keep making this content and to keep making it better as well. Thank you.